Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Linux After Dark. I'm Joe. I'm Chris. I'm Gary. And my name is Dalton. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Wrong show, Dalton, wrong show. Anyway, welcome back, chaps. We got quite a lot of feedback about what desktop Linux is, so thank you, everyone. Lots of people said that it comes down to intended use case. If it has a Linux kernel and it's meant to be used with a keyboard and mouse or touchpad, then it's desktop Linux. And it's all about that intention. And I think that's fair enough, isn't it? Good. Then Chrome OS and Ubuntu Touch both succeed. I'm done with this discussion. Goodbye. Sorry, Jim. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So this time I wanted to talk to you about immutable desktop Linux. So we're talking about things like Fedora, Silverblue, and Kinoite. That read-only file system generally using some sort of containerized applications on top of that. Is that the future? Is that the present even? Or is it just totally pointless? Well, it's interesting this week because there was a more in-depth analysis of what uh, SteamOS's next iteration of SteamOS is going to be. And that's the model they've chosen. And it seems to have been talked about a fair amount recently with Fedora 35 coming out. There's lots of talk from Red Hat about Silverblue and this idea of having an untouched, immutable or majority read-only root file system. And one of the things that's talked about is if your system goes completely wrong, rather than having to live boot, crew in or roll back the kernel or all the things that we're used to doing to, to fix that, which to be honest, hasn't happened to me for a very long time, especially not unprompted. Well, yeah, hang on. That's never happened to me. Granted, I use Ubuntu LTSs or Zubuntu and Ubuntu LTS on the server, but that has never happened to me. I I don't understand this mythical use case for it. It has happened to me, but it's happened because I was being stupid. So it's either because I'm trying to fix something and I go down an alley where you're like, a light bulb comes on in the back of your head going, you probably shouldn't do this without taking a backup or maybe stopping to pause. It's late, you're tired, but you do it anyway. And then you get dropped to a TTY on reboot. And then you have to go through this thing of crooting or whatever. But I can't remember the last time it happened even like that. I can't remember a single time where just through standard day-to-day usage, I've applied updates or whatever, or installed something new, rebooted, and it's become irreparably broken, requiring some kind of special intervention. So I don't know that it appeals to a lot of people. Now, one one of the things that people have said is, oh, this is great for my mum or a less experienced user. Maybe there's something in that because I know that Android, Chrome OS and macOS follow this model now. They have like a read-only system partition and you can roll back an update if it's failed very, very easily. So I think that it might make sense for something like the Steam machines because they're being shipped out to mass market consumers, right? Who, by and large, may not be as technical as you and I. And it's not like them having a Windows machine or a Mac where they can just take it to their local backstreet computer store or the Apple store and have someone look at it and do an OS reinstall. I think the market that they're aiming the Steam Deck and Steam Machines at probably isn't that same market. Yeah, that's a good point to bring up, Gary, as well, I think, because with Chromebooks, for example, 
a lot of them are reference boards. And the same with Android devices, they have reference names. So if you run Lineage on, on an Android device, it will have a code name like Osprey or Tiso or any of the others for heater. And Chrome OS has the same thing for Chrome OS devices, um, Cyan and all of these different names. So there's a subset of hardware that they're targeting. Same with the Steam Deck, same with Apple devices. So I can sort of see that you're targeting hardware and you so you're targeting an image like you would flash a custom rom that's for your device you can't just i mean it's changing so that's a bit complicated but historically you would need to seek out the custom roms for your device in the same way so i can see that and i can i agree with you i think for the steam deck but for me personally i've just never been attracted to thinking oh what i really need is this for my machines that i'm using on a daily basis it doesn't draw me in in that way yeah it's the same as it is for you with me if i've been dropped to a tty on a reboot or i've had a failed update it's usually because of something that i've done you know i've added a dodgy ppa or i've installed a custom kernel or have some kernel module that hasn't been updated correctly and then i reboot after a kernel update and everything's broken but Never, you know, in just day-to-day use of any Linux machine, really, be it server or laptop, have I ever had a problem with a failed update? And I can't help but think I'm not alone in that. I think there are two things that you're missing, though. First is that wouldn't it be nice if you did, you know, screw it up yourself to be able to go back to before you screwed it up and then not screw it up again? That's always nice. But the more important thing, I think, is separation of user data from the system. So, I mean, people have done it with having separate home partitions and stuff. But one of the nice things with Ubuntu Touch, which has a immutable root file system, not through OS tree, just it's an image file that is mounted RO instead of RW. If you completely hose the system, you can just pop the UbiPorts installer onto your device and be back up and running exactly the way it was before. And I think that's a really important thing that makes it possible to do things like the Steam Deck or, you know, reinstalling macOS without hosing everything. Or, the opposite way, wiping all of your data without needing to reinstall the system. Yeah, it's interesting. I think it'll be linked in the show notes, but Colin Walters from Red Hat wrote quite an extended blog post about his concept of it. And obviously he's very close to it because he's working on it and believes in it strongly. And that's one of the things he said is that each image resets you back to a fresh install, like you've just installed the system and doesn't have that kind of creep and porous nature where you've dumb bits here and there to the root file system but again it's i just it just doesn't ring a bell in my head of my experience that draws me to it yet but i wouldn't say i would write it off completely i i'm open to being convinced that there's pros to it but i'm yet to be i guess i'm surprised that you're not into it gary because you are more into containers and stuff on the server side of things aren't you i am yeah but Equally, at that point, I then don't care about the underlying OS. The container has its data set in a Docker volume or whatever that might be, and the base OS can just be thrown away. So 
I don't really buy that it gives me any advantage to run a container host on something like Silverblue than it would on, you know, Ubuntu or CentOS like I'm running at the moment. Right, if you had Ansible and could just set it right back up from fresh. Yeah, exactly, right. I've just got Ansible roles for all of my servers. And if one of them dies, I run the Ansible role. The containers spin back up. It remounts their EBS volumes that have the data in. And that's it. I don't care about OS updates. In fact, you know, it would be entirely possible for me to just throw the entire machine away any time updates were released and not really notice. That's a model I've been following since I set up a more robust backup system. That's the whole point of me setting up the backup system is that very quickly, if I drop my machine on the floor and it smashes to a million pieces, I can go and buy another one and bring it back up to the state it was very, very quickly. One of the things that's great and attracts me to Linux is installing almost any distro I've ever tried hasn't taken me a long time, even on spinning Rust, and certainly taken me a lot less time than Windows. So the idea of getting a completely clean machine, which I've done a lot, just installing the OS and then going, here are my backups, here's what I want, really doesn't take me that long to do, and it doesn't feel that painful. So... Uh, you know, I guess it's quicker if you have some kind of snapshotting and you literally just reboot and go, give it to me half an hour ago, I guess. But it's not so painful that I need that right now. But I could have my desktop machine back up and running within half an hour, including installing the OS and running the Ansible. There's nothing stateful on my machine that I particularly care about. I think that we have talked in this very show before about having to reinstall operating systems for people and how they'll never do that. So is this maybe a case where we have the wrong perspective compared to the people we're trying to prescribe things on? Well, here's the thing. So from the the copy that I've read and promotional material surrounding things like Silverblue, the two demographics they seem to target a lot are initially developers, right? So you can have your segregated environment with to do with containers, whether that's Podman or Docker, or you use flat packs, but you're not ever having to reinstall, you pick up and drop things. And then there's other sort of writing that's gone on about it to do with users where they wouldn't consider installing an operating system anyway. So you're giving it over to the person and they would be able to be presented with a, you know, you could over the phone, all you say to them is reboot holding down this key and then just select the previous date and time from today. Like a, a much better version of Windows snapshotting, which is shite and I hate. But those are the two models that it falls into. I'm not a developer who's setting up a lot of toolboxes and all of that kind of thing. So that doesn't appeal to me. And I'm also not someone that minds installing an operating system. So maybe Dalton's right. Like maybe at the moment, it's just not going to appeal to me. But if we're ever going to win, which we talked about before, that we don't really <laughs> care, but if, if we're ever going to get mass adoption of desktop Linux, then don't we need to do what the big players are doing, like Google and Apple? Microsoft aren't doing this, and Windows is the biggest desktop operating system out there. They haven't been for years. I think they'd like to. Maybe they'd like to, but I still don't see someone walking into PC world and saying, actually, I'm not buying that computer because it doesn't have that instant restore feature that Chromebook has. You never see it happen on a Chromebook. It just reboots, and it might reboot seven times, and then it'll work again. And the same with an Android phone, is it'll just reboot seven times and then come back to working, and you never are any the wiser. Yeah, it's a much more invisible process, as you say. It's only if you dig into the menus of Chrome OS and go to the 
advanced about screen, you'll see a progress bar. But yeah, Android in general has adopted that A-B partitioning to, to do the same thing. You're using the phone while it's updating the alternate partition and you reboot into it. If it fails, you flip back to the one you were just in. So the structure's been put there. Windows is in an interesting place, isn't it? Because still, Windows 11, they made a snap judgment on that fairly recently to release that. For ages, they weren't going to do that. And then they were looking at doing a Chrome OS competitor, which morphed into Windows 11. And now they've done a Chrome OS competitor again. Like, I really feel like their strategy isn't actually that clear. <laughs> so that's reflected <laughs> in the operating system. Yeah, I, I really, I really, I'm, I really don't know if they know where they're going. And I think the the original blueprint that was laid down with Windows 10 is, I thought it was going to just become Windows. They were going to drop the numbering and then it would just be operating system as a service. They just rolled on and on and on and on. And at some point they've obviously thought making major version updates with hardware requirements is going to make us more money probably, I think. But it just, you know, if you look at Windows 11 now, I know it's only just been released, so fair enough, but it's got lots of problems with it and it just doesn't feel like a huge amount of thought has gone into it and it really smells like they've gone oh let's just do this anyway even though we said we weren't going to when can we get this out let's get it out and that's probably why they haven't thought about stuff like seamless immutable updates and stuff like that now that i think about it though windows does have update uninstallers which do generally work taking the windows see Windows back to the way it was before. And likewise, Windows, if you're doing a major update, you know, if you're doing Windows 10 to 11, or even the version updates within Windows 10, it'll store your old system as Windows.old, and you can go back to it. So there's like the start of this, but just not, they haven't used OS tree on their NTFS partition. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash linuxafterdark and see why Linode has been voted the top infrastructure as a service provider by both G2 and Trustradius. From their award-winning support offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been using Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. Linode offers great price-to-performance value for all compute instances, including GPUs, as well as block storage, Kubernetes, and their upcoming bare metal release. Linode makes cloud computing fast, simple, and affordable, allowing you to focus on your projects, not your infrastructure. So go to linode.com slash linuxafterdark, create a free account with your Google or GitHub account or your email address, and you'll get $100 in credit. That's linode.com slash Linux after dark. So have any of us actually tried this? I've not played with Silverblue or any kind of immutable Linux. Only briefly. I've never lived with it. Yeah, I've installed it, but I've never actually tried to live with it for any appreciable period of time. And I wonder if we're missing something. It's funny you say that, Gary, because... One of the reasons I thought that we would speak about this is because it came up in the Telegram group that we've got for Late Night Linux, and there weren't many people that came forward. Someone just asked that question, who's actually using an immutable OS on a daily basis that's not Chrome OS and the other ones we've discussed? There are a few people that have come forward and said that they like the idea that the core OS is segregated from everything else, and 
they've compared, like some people said, well, Nixos does it better, but that's not quite the same, is it? Because if we go back to some of the copy that's been created about Silverblue, the inexperienced user, I'm sorry, you're not going to give them NixOS. <laughs> no, it's not going to happen. <laughs> you're not. Aww. But it looks great. You know, WinPress is a huge fan and I can see why, but it does follow similar paths, but the the way that you use it is completely different as far as I'm concerned. But there are some people that feel like Silverblue is an advancement on what they used to do and they're using it, but not many people piped up and said, yeah, I'm using it. It's great. And I've I've stuck with it. Most people are the same as us. Well, I tried it. There's lots of rebooting involved as well. If you deviate from what they want to give you and you can't get it as a flat pack and it's something that needs modification at root level. Yeah, you have to install the package and then reboot, which is a very weird way to do it. Yeah, well, it feels like when you used to install drivers on Windows, even Windows isn't that bad anymore, but it used to be like every single driver that you installed would request the system reboot before you could use it. But Dalton, you're using it with UbiPorts, you're using this very same system yeah. with Ubuntu Touch. I think you knew my bias when we went into this. <laughs> well, do we though? Are you happy with how that works? Yeah, really, I, I am because as someone who's developing it, you know, I can <laughs> completely screw it up. And then if it's my main phone, reinstall and it's just back to the way it was. Now, of course, we don't have this like OS tree install things into this weird git directory kind of thing it's just an image on the file system that we put the files into so it is different it is an older way of doing it it's an old code sir but it's a good one (laughs) (laughs) and so you wouldn't change it then no i might update it to do things more like how fedora does them someday but that's obviously not in a place where i can schedule right now I would also like to do A-B updates on systems where that's possible, but we're also not there yet. I did the partitioning for the Pine phone, and I specifically made it so that there are extra partitions and extra space available for A-B partitioning if you're using an Ubuntu Touch image. We aren't there yet, but the space is there, laid out. Okay, so given that yeah, we've all talked around this and we can't find a use case for ourselves, I think I'm going to give it a go and install it on my machine. Yeah, and just see how I get on with it. I feel like I should do that too. I'm hoping that I can do everything that I can do on the Ubuntu LTS that I'm running at the moment. But we'll see. I will wipe the disk. I'll install Fedora Silverblue and just try and do my work and see how I get on. Yeah, I think I can probably join you in that because I've been thinking recently how many flat packs I'm using. And one of the frustrating things about using Ubuntu with lots of flat packs is that if you use an LTS, the version of flat pack gets old. And I know that there's a team that's backporting security patches and everything else, but recently a couple of flat packs have broken and I even opened an issue about the Telegram one and it was because the version of Flatpak was too old. And so I had to, you know, you have to install the PPA to bring it up to speed. So I'd be quite interested to see what it's like to use a distribution that's built around the idea of Flatpak being the the way that you get those packages as opposed to Snap, uh, just to see what's on the other side of the fence. All of the packages I have installed are either apt packages, you know, just from the Ubuntu repos or from the Snap repo. So, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. It's probably going to take some adjusting to, but given that yeah, there's a lot of discussion around it and given that I don't think any of us have said that really we can see a use case for it for us on our primary workstations, I think it'd be yeah naive not to at least have a play 
see what it's like. Well, I have done that previously. And as I said, I didn't live with it for very long, but it just didn't appeal enough to make the switch. That's the thing. I don't think it has to, but we'll have to see. Yeah, I'll give Silverblue a try. And I might look at NixOS as well, because it seems to be very much targeted at the type of user that I would be inside of work. It's probably not going to be, like you say, Jay, really, really compelling. But if it's good enough, then I'll keep it on machine for a few weeks. I think that would be most successful if you just don't notice it. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping, is that I can just install it. Well, it's always the marker. It just lets you get on with your work. That's that's always what I want. I don't want to know what the operating system's <laughs> doing unless I ask. Don't tell me. I'll ask you if I want to and ask you to do something else maybe. But please don't remind me that you are between me and the metal and you can go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, good luck, chaps, is all I can say to that. And um, yeah, if you're listening out there, maybe you want to give it a go and let us know how we get on with it. Or if you have been using it already, something like Silverblue or even Endless OS, which uses the same principle, then let us know. Show at linuxafterdark.net. Also, before we get out of here, just a quick thank you to everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that linuxafterdark.net slash support if you want to join those people and remember for five dollars or more per month on patreon you can get an advert free rss feed for this show late night linux and late night linux extra but it is time to get out of here so we'll be back in two weeks but until then i've been joe i've been chris i've been gary and my name is dalton (laughs) (laughs) see you later (laughs) 